0: Sometimes you have days, weeks, or even years where you question every choice that has led you to where you currently are. That's true in the teaching profession as well. Fortunately, it's not very often that I find myself questioning my career choices, but this year has felt different, and it's only like day 16. Much of this year has felt harder than usual colleagues and administration have shared similar feelings with me as well. And maybe it's the result of living in a pandemic or maybe I'm just getting old. But for someone like me, a person who usually is filled with a lot of hope and zest, this is a hard reality for me to wrap my brain around. One of the struggles we've talked about is one student, let's call him Sam, who has been having a particularly hard time. Sam at times has made us question our philosophical beliefs, even sometimes doubting that our long game approach will indeed pay off. And then Friday happened. Maybe it was the fact that the temperature had started to change or that it was finally starting to feel like fall. Or maybe it was how I showed up on that particular morning, but I could feel a different energy as the day began. Magic was in the air. Our class came in and started our morning routine. Sam hadn't shown up yet, and secretly I felt myself breathe a sigh of relief. I had the thought that with him not there, our special launch of Flashlight Friday and our adventure time down to the creek would definitely be possible. I hated myself for thinking this, no matter how brief the thought was, but I did, and I did think it. Thirty minutes into our day, the door opened and Sam came in bounding towards me with an amazing grin and a big old hug. He was happy to be at school for now at least, and I crossed my fingers that this would continue. And it did. I'm not going to pretend that there weren't bumps in our day. Come on, teach a K-1 class. There's always going to be a little bit of turbulence. But overall, Sam was in every way a part of our crew. All day. No class need to evacuate. No calls to the office for support. Mild redirection was all that was needed. During choice time, where our students get to have free time to play and build interpersonal skills, I was able to play with him. This opportunity hadn't happened yet this year because of issues he had constantly had during this time, but not today. And as I watched him play, I got to hear him say things like, ladies first, to a kid he was playing with. And I watched as he invited kids to play with him, offering to share his toys. I got to see how incredibly kind Sam truly is. And I was having fun with him. With the day going so well, I decided to test my luck. We strapped on our adventure packs and walked down to the creek with the intention of practicing solitude, reflection, and mindfulness as the kids sat in silence and drew in their journals what they noticed with their senses about the world around them. Sam sat. Sam was quiet. Sam journaled. And then, like the rest of the crew, Sam was ready to play near the creek. Once safety norms were reviewed, the kids sat out. My eyes glued to Sam like a hawk. My presence was never very far, just in case, subconsciously waiting for, well, the shit to hit the fan. Then another student discovered a toy dinosaur in the creek, rinsed him off, proud, and showed the class. Sam asked to see him, and once in his hands, he promptly hurled him into the creek. Crap, here it comes. While the dinosaur discoverer's face began to fall, Sam looked right at him and the crew and said, I am so sorry. I thought that he would float. I should have asked first. That wasn't kind. My mouth dropped open. An unprompted apology, ownership, and on-the-spot reflection? What the hell was happening? Now, I could continue the story by telling you about the heroic rescuing of the dinosaur, who is now a class mascot named Johnny Creek, or we could pause for a moment and question, why was today different from the last three weeks? What had changed? Was it the systems and structures finally in place? Was it the crew and community we had built starting to pay off? Or was it this fabulously engaging teaching I was doing? (laughs) Maybe it was, or maybe it was also something else.
1: Hi, I'm Allie and I'm Annie and And you're you're listening listening to That's
0: So Evolutionary, an
1: education podcast where we explore what teachers, psychologists, anthropologists and the latest thought leaders are saying about
0: what we can and must do to transform learning environments so that every child has the opportunity to thrive in our world today. Annie and I each have over a decade of experience in classrooms and we are still teaching and testing out ways to make schools work better for children
1: and for the adults who support them. Join Join us as we evaluate the evidence, dig through the debates, very bad ideas, gush over good ones, and build a roadmap for all teachers, whether at home, school, or in the community, to show what is possible as we evolve our system of education Together. together. That is a great story annie um but i have to say so listeners i was out of the classroom friday so i'm hoping your answer to that question isn't just don't have ally in your classroom
0: (laughs) no of course it's not that would be just a gross gross lie if i were to say that (laughs) the truth is The day started with our admin coming in and offering us support. So what I didn't tell in that story is that all day long, there was another adult in here who had Mm. very clear direction to be his shadow. And what it allowed us to do was tag team and be responsive to this kid's needs and help him take a break when he needed to or just support him with redirection. And it was as simple as that. And it was a consistent adult that was the same all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know it's I, and I know that's like well that that that's nice, but that's all it was.
1: So listeners, we wanted to build on uh, this week what we started talking about last week because, I mean, as Annie alluded to, and as we've been talking about, our success right now is resting on both things within our control, but also equally on the support of an extra adult, which is not often in our control to have, right? And it's not an option for all classrooms. And so we've spent a lot of episodes talking about things we believe, things we're trying to give a glimpse into sort of the class-wide structures that are supporting all kids to be successful, even when our attention is drawn to one kid in particular at times. Um, But today, we wanted to get real about the barriers to sometimes it feels like existence and try to figure out how we tackle those
0: as well so that we can
1: get the support we need for all kids.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I do believe, Allie, that When I mentioned in the story about the crew finally, you know, taking root and that sense of community and the structures, all of that is true. Plus, what we were doing is highly engaging, like all of those best practices were happening. But because there was somebody else that allowed me to support him. Right. Like there was more freedom to do all of those things. And we know that. It doesn't happen every year, but there is usually a student that it tests everything you have as a teacher. Yeah. And sometimes the stars align between you and personalities and your stamina and, you know, your skills and a child who is struggling starts to thrive.
1: Yeah. But just as frequently yep. or mm-hmm. maybe even more so, it doesn't. The long game doesn't happen in the time it needs. And both child and adult can feel like exhausted, burnt out failures. Yep. Um, and it's not because the child is a bad person for having these struggles, not. or the teacher is not good enough. Sometimes the situation is just bigger than the capacity of one human adult to handle without support. Teachers can take on secondary trauma when working with students who are experiencing challenges that then over time builds up and makes it even more difficult to support that child in a positive, healthy way like we all desperately want to. Yep. Um, I listened to this seminar by Colleen Wilkinson, who's a trauma-informed Montessori practitioner, and... You know, some of the signs of secondary trauma in teachers can look like burnout, anger and defensiveness, savior complex, depression, low morale, fatigue. I have felt a number of those (laughs) on the list already in week four. I know. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And that is the situation that we're talking about today. Listener, last week, Ali and I told you about a student who was called Sam um, that we have this year who has really been struggling. He's gone through some transitions in his life lately that have had a profoundly stressful impact on him. And it's translating to some difficult behaviors um, to navigate in the classroom. He's also an extremely kind and polite and helpful child, as I told him my story earlier. And that's really important that you hear me say. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And we are doing our best to remain calm, healthy adults that remind him of that all the time. But last week, Annie and I honestly looked at each other and both said, are we getting too (laughs) old to do this? And something you should know is that we're both still under 40. So technically, we should have lots of vigorous years of life left. And we split the school day. Annie teaches in the morning. I teach in the afternoon. And
0: we're still having a hard time. Yeah. And so, you know, that's talking about both mental and physical barriers, you know, to support the students. So let's start with and yourself, not just the students, but let's start with the mental. Right. So you and I really struggled with feelings of failure and low morale and not being good enough. right? Yeah. To help this child get integrated into the community on the same timeline as the others. So let's talk about those mindsets and myths that are related to this white supremacy culture that we had talked about in our last episode.
1: Yeah. In other episodes not last one we referenced this very strong martyr culture in education which to me has to be tied to that like white savior absolutely you know mentality too and it's really big in the teaching profession i think mostly because of this notion that keeps getting upheld that if you aren't sacrificing everything you have for students then you must not care or if you fail after sacrificing everything you have for students then you weren't good enough Mm -hmm. and it's it's just such bs that this continues to just keep cycling through this profession because it keeps teachers silent on the support they need until they literally cannot do anymore and quit or get fired or let's be real mostly quit because nobody can fire a teacher when there's no
0: one to replace them well and and so that is one of the big reasons we wanted to do this episode and say we cannot do this job without support sometimes yeah and you guys should know that this is a big deal because annie is
1: the picture Mm -hmm. of teacher as as hero i think that's really nice. I Don't know. Feel like at this year, she is a nationally recognized winning teacher of the year in expeditionary learning, and so I think it's actually really very powerful that you say that, Annie, because I think we need, you know, the superheroes in our midst to kind of remove their cape and be like, oh. it is not always easy and it is okay to act like things aren't perfect
0: well and it's a tricky balance because when teachers do start saying they need help or this is not sustainable right many times they're often demonized for being whiny or not having positive professional attitudes yeah you know in our class I and and I have to say that has not been my experience really ever in teaching but I know that is not the norm for others yeah but in our class you know we have gotten support this year oh my gosh so much thank you but it's so yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Lane. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Pete. But, you know, this that the behaviors that are happening this year are so closely tied to my ego because of what you were just saying yeah. that I do believe I'm failing. And then, you know, I feel less than and as someone who has been called a child whisperer and has had high success with some of the more challenging behaviors, my pride gets affected. And then enter all those white supremacy culture, you yeah. know, characteristics. i the, the only one. Perfectionism. Yeah. Well, and you hear all the time people say, oh, it's actually the greatest, you know, strength to ask for help. I don't like it. I don't like it in my personal life. I don't like it yeah. in my professional life. And it, it, it's just also fact. I need help this year.
1: Again, you called this out, but we've had amazing support. Yes.
0: But at the same time, it does seem like many people, you know, need support even this year more than than ever. And there just physically isn't always enough to give. So it doesn't matter how supportive your school is, in a year where it yeah. feels like the schools are on fire. Yeah. What do we do?
1: Yeah. We we are obviously talking now about support that is not always within our internal locus of control. Exactly. And I think as teachers, we get so bogged down and we don't have the bandwidth to try to challenge the things that keep inequities continuing. Yep. I read a statistic that somewhere between a half and three quarters of all children before they're 18 will have experienced some form of trauma and we'll define that in a second. But for a lot of kids... Experiences within the pandemic can be a trauma depending on how the adults around you respond to it. So it seems low. It does seem low.
0: (laughs) So trauma can be both an individual and collective response to life-threatening events, harmful conditions, or a prolonged, dangerous, or stressful environment. Not all stressful experiences are traumatic to individuals. For some children, stress does not become trauma. While some point to resilience as a strength or an asset of individual children, the research on resilience takes a more ecological approach in which a child's capacity to respond to challenges is supported by interlocking systems like family, community, and access to resources. That's from Alex Shervin-Vanette in the Equity-Centered Trauma-Informed Education. In Equity-Centered Trauma-Informed Practices, the focus is on humanization, critical wellness, and community.
1: I was reading how DPS is maybe spending some of their COVID money or talking about spending it. Is we always hear about putting more mental health professionals in schools or more psychologists in schools, and I think that that is great. Depending on how those people are are being deployed, and this is also from that book uh, by Vinay. and she's referencing one of the sort of premier child psychologists, Bruce Bruce Perry. But he says while trauma therapists are one possible source of support experts in the field emphasize that healing from trauma requires a community that cares rather than simply 50 minutes a week in a therapist's office. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, in my interactions with Sam, as he's had different big, I don't know what to call them, flare ups. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe you can see in that moment that what he wants is connection. He wants to be a part of things. He's not like, none of this is, is from a bad intent. He, he, it's, it's this deep need to feel
0: safe and feel belonging and have relationships and have relationships. Okay. Well, then (laughs) let's talk about what is shown to be helpful for children who have experienced trauma and how that relates to the kind of support we hope to advocate for.
1: Yes. And I'm going to read some more quotes. And again, it's from this book, equity centered, trauma informed education
0: by Vinay. Yes. I said it by by Alex Chevron.
1: Um, (laughs) um, And thank you, Alex, for writing this book. It came out recently. Uh,
0: And and you uh, would think that the middle name would have been a clue that it was French to me, but it wasn't. Sorry, keep going.
1: Okay. (laughs) So she writes... (laughs) (laughs) To recover from trauma, we first need to reestablish a feeling of safety, emotionally and physically. From there, the journey is different for everyone, but we need trusted people with whom to build relationships. And we need unconditional acceptance. Bruce Perry writes, The research on the most effective treatment to help child trauma victims might be accurately summed up in this way. What works best is anything that increases the quality and number of relationships in a child's life. And something she adds is that caring adults don't need to be trained therapists or trauma counselors. The relationships that um, Bruce Perry is referencing include parents, teachers, coaches, neighbors, aunts, uncles, spiritual and religious leaders, scout leaders, community elders, and anyone else who can play a consistent role in a child's life. These connections create a feeling of safety in which children are comfortable enough to take risks, explore, and learn new things. And the other thing I would add on here is... um, This old school can be quality relationships with children in the classroom. Sure.
0: Well, the word that resonates with me there is the word consistent. And so when I think about Sam and some struggles, he doesn't have the same consistent teacher throughout the day. He hasn't had, you know, the same consistent person to support. You know, he doesn't have consistency at his home life right now. And so that element of consistency is is a pretty profound thing for this little guy. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so... I mean, that leads us into what are the barriers to us supporting him in the way he needs while also allowing us to remain physically and emotionally healthy enough to support mm-hmm. both him and. And the rest of our class.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you touched on this a bit, but using money, if we're getting all this money in Colorado, right? Yeah. Using it to bring in more qualified professionals to support in the classroom, not pull out, not time away from the crew, but to support in that tag team, you know, kind of relationship yeah, that you were with, talking the, about. Yeah, with the teacher so that both of the adults can be responsive to the class. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, Another would be making these jobs desirable with compensation and training. And it doesn't just have to be school psychs, like you said, but well-trained paras. Yeah,
1: totally. Mm -hmm. So listeners, I'm sorry if this was a really unsatisfying episode, (laughs) but the, the general theme I think Annie and I wanted to bring home is relationships and support. And we seem to have I mean, every other day I read an article of how we're supposed to have all this money from the pandemic. And honestly, Annie and I have talked about this in the past. Um, We spend a lot of money on testing. We spend a lot of money on things that are not directly going into classrooms. I think Denver or Colorado, either Denver or Colorado, even just passed a mill levy increase before the pandemic. So there is money. And we need to figure out why it's not going into classrooms.
0: In, in a way that's not just more literacy materials or blocks. It's like physically... Yeah, or a new science curriculum or yeah. a new SEL curriculum right. that, that adds more things for teachers to do and not... Support to help do, them do them. Not
1: support to help... There was this great quote by Angela Watson. Do you remember? I sent it to you. It was on her Instagram. And it was like every everything you add onto a teacher's plate adds uh, like an ounce of burnout that yep. you really should question whether it's worth it because yep. the life of that educator and staying in the career is going to diminish every time you add something. Yeah. And we're adding things for teachers to do, which our prefrontal cortexes are ready to learn when we are not stressed out. And yep. right now we just need to re- we need more people And more qualified people in. Yes. Yeah.
0: So today's piece of the roadmap is that as teachers, we can create environments designed around community and relationships that will be beneficial to all students. But then we also need to normalize that we are going to need help at times because we are not going to have all the tools or answers to help every kid by ourselves. And that's what it means to be human, not a superhero or a white savior, as the system would want you to believe. And so we have to advocate for the support before we start going down ourselves. Yeah. So to the system, to the
1: system. To the system. <laughs> I'm this is my plea to the system is we really need to be proactive with how we're using resources not reactive. And to me proactive is getting kids and teachers the added support needed when we recognize that there are kids who need extra support at the beginning so that we can preserve relationships and aid in the community building process. I mean, if if our school hadn't been able to give us support and we were stretched to our limit, then I wouldn't be able to be the regulated adult I've gotten to be around Sam yeah. and preserve that potential for a relationship absolutely.
0: and while we had some wins today like I'm sure by the time you're listening to this listener like it will be <laughs> another day where we are frauds and failures but the point is all of us are gonna get through it if we can acknowledge that we are human and not superheroes for yes. sure yes All right, listeners. Well, we
1: have some show updates for you. And the first is an apology because this episode is getting out later than usual. Annie and I had a sort of epiphany, which I guess is normal when you have an organic process like this podcast. It's kind of evolving as we're going. And so season one that we've been casting right now is all about cracking the foundations on... What we think of as school and all the beliefs we have that lead us to do what we do, and those that are helpful and those that are not. And in this episode, and in our experience in the classroom this year so far, we just realized that we need to both be painting a vision for what we can do as teachers, but at the same time, we need to be advocating for bigger systemic changes in education. And so instead of finishing out this season on episode 10, as we were planning to do and then taking a short break, we're going to stop our our season one here. And we're going to do that so that we can take a couple weeks and regroup because all around the country at the beginning of November are going to be school board elections with people who are running on different visions of what school is for and what we can do with all this money that is floating around in education. So Annie and I are going to take a couple week break. And when we come back, we will have a very special season two out for you. You can expect that in season two, we'll finally have other guests on our show, like school board members that are running and may have a seat at the table to make some of these really important decisions about the direction of our education system. We will, of course, find ways to keep you updated on what's happening in our own classroom. So make sure you're following us on Instagram at Evolutionary Learning. And thank you again for being on this journey with us. Until next time, this is Allie. And this is Annie. And you've been listening to That's So Evolutionary.